All right. Uh, welcome to week three of the Latter Day Conversations podcast. We've got some more questions for you guys this week, or for us rather. You guys get to listen to our answers, and uh, so yeah, we'll we'll just uh, start right off. Um, so I will ask the first question to Cade, and we'll get the pot stirring. All right, okay, let's do it. And uh, this one, okay, so I'll, I'll read the question and then I'll give a little bit of explanation because I wrote this question and I think, uh, yeah, it was last week I told my wife this and she's like, what? So anyway, I had to give some description to make sense of it. So the question is, would you rather Gandhi go to hell or Hitler go to heaven? So the explanation here, the what I had in mind was, would you rather have a God that errs on the side of being too merciful by letting the evil, you know, someone who's probably shouldn't belong in heaven, be in heaven. Or would you rather him err on the side of being too harsh? Like, uh, you know, being a little too hard on someone that seems like a pretty good person, but on a technicality such as, you know, Gandhi wasn't baptized. He wasn't Christian, even though he's a good guy, it seems. Um, sorry, he's going to hell. Um, and I know there, <laughs> there are other problems with this question, you know, uh, that's, you know, like, heaven can't be impure, et cetera, et cetera. But the real question is, would you rather God be too merciful or too harsh? Uh, so what is your response, Cade? All right. I feel like this is a trap. <laughs> <laughs> no trap um, intended. <laughs> I, I, I know this might sound a bit, I, I mean, it, it seems like it's the weirdest answer, but my, my first thought kind of just goes to, honestly, I think I'd rather gandhi go to hell and that that sounds terrible i know that um and and that's with this particular example when it comes down to it in the in the grand scheme of things i do hope that god is more merciful than too strict that is for sure but just at, at least in this comparison um with gandhi and hitler i don't know i just think of if hitler goes to heaven i just am like i would i would be baffled at what kind of a place heaven would be and I don't even know, like that, that sounds so terrible for me to say, but, but I would, I would rather Gandhi go to a high degree of a, of a terrestrial kingdom, right. than Hitler go to the celestial kingdom. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I get you. It, yeah. It's a hard one. Cause uh, yeah. What would that make heaven? Um, it's hard because it makes me think of, you know, some of the parables Christ gave in his life hinted that he, he is merciful sometimes in a surprising degree but at the same time you know there there are other times when it seems very harsh and so i think sifting out the details behind why each of those cases happen uh, may be important but i think of the one parable of the wages you know where the the servants the hirelings are hired at different times to go help in the field i can't remember what they're doing exactly but they're all given a fair wage um, at the beginning but then later on, when the job's more near to being completed, other people are hired and given the same wage as the other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then they balk at it and say, hey, w what's going on here? You know, we did more work than them. They don't deserve as much as we had. And the uh, master says, well, wasn't your wage fair? So, you know, who cares uh, what they get? Your wage is fair. So, you know, you have no complaints. At least that's my memory of it. <laughs> I may be getting some of the details wrong. But uh, I don't know. Do you think that's relevant at all? Like, uh, yeah, how does um, one person's um, glorification giving, you know, putting someone in heaven, how does that affect you? I guess in the sense of not <laughs> besides the fact that it might taint heaven. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, that actually uh, you, you bringing up that parable actually made me think of another one. I'm looking it up. Give me two more seconds. But it it reminds me of the parable where Jesus is talking to, uh, I believe it's the Pharisees and Sadducees. And essentially, uh, let me see. Okay, here it is. It's Matthew 21. And uh, essentially in this parable, he, he tells this parable of, of a certain man who has two sons, right? One comes first and says, uh, you know, will you go into the work in the vineyard? And, and the son says, you know, I'm not going to do it. But he goes and repents and then actually goes and does the work, right? While the second says that he'll go and do it, but he doesn't go and do the work. And then Jesus responds and it says in verse 31 of Matthew 21 that uh, which did the will of his father, right? And they said unto him the first and Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. 
and and I think that's kind of a similar line of kind of what you were getting to with the other parable, right? That to, to some degree, I think so long as you are a more genuine and a, a person who desires to do well, even if you don't quote unquote abide by all the ordinances right now, um, so long as you do accept them later on, right? Because you do need to accept them. But so long as you are living well according to light knowledge which you have, I, I I think God will be very merciful. And I and I pray that He will be more merciful than I might make him out to be sometimes. <laughs> but but yeah. but genuinely, right? I mean, if and he's speaking to some pretty devout people, right? I mean, the Pharisees and Sadducees were pretty strict in their customs. And and if you know the, the publicans and harlots should have heaven before uh them, then I think that's kind of a, a uh, at least a little bit of a precedent to set. Yeah. Well, my question is, um, you know, if God can make saints out of sinners, mm-hmm. what is that to us? You know, how, how does that like demerit us? If, you know, if we're in heaven and someone who is a horrible sinner, like Hitler appears as a saint, you know, and Christ's grace had changed him. Yeah. Um, what is that to us? You know, why, why does our happiness have to depend on him? being consigned to misery you know I, I don't know point. and huh. uh yeah it's hard because i i mean i think part of us we want justice right we want yeah. we want justice to be paid and so we don't want him to get off scotch free we want hitler to have to pay a harsh price because we know of all the atrocities that have been caused by him and right. so is it is it that desire to have justice you know in us where we're we get satisfied by people being punished is is that a legitimate uh, satisfaction that we get as humans yeah i think it, it might be at least to some extent i mean you just i don't know you you almost classify people in, in different degrees and, and variations of things but but ultimately and and i think that this parable that i just quoted kind of brings back to the point of i think your intentions really mean a lot more than you think you know and i think we talked a little bit about this last week but um as hard as that is for for someone like Hitler to possibly have such a merciful uh, experience with God to where he becomes a person where he can enter into the celestial kingdom. I mean, it, it, it to me, it almost seems to a way that it destroys that justice. Right. But mm-hmm. if he truly does overcome those uh, tendencies that he's had and really seeks forgiveness and repents, I mean, if anything, shouldn't that be more of an inspiration of the the changing and, and enabling power of Christ and how he can truly change the souls of even the wickedest of men? Yeah. yeah R- rather, ra- rather than me thinking over here, there, no, there's no way, right? Because in my mind, the first time that I answered this is kind of, well, that kind of ruins heaven, right? In comparison to, well, maybe look at his grace and how powerful it is, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting question because I'm I'm thinking, you know, one way to reframe this is we would rather see someone falsely imprisoned than to see a sinner go unpunished. So does that say we pit justice over mercy? We would rather, you know, if there's going to be one of the two, we'd rather have justice rather than, you know, at the expense of mercy, rather than mercy at the expense of justice. That's really hmm. what it comes down to, right? Yeah, I guess it really does, huh? Wow. You know what? This is a question that I don't know if I have the answer to (laughs) or even like, wow. I mean, there's just, yeah, that's tough. I I think ultimately I really do hope that God is a lot more merciful than I envision him to be. And and I envision him to be very merciful. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, you know, really when it comes down to it, what, what is the truth of the matter? Well, God paid the highest price so that mercy can be offered as well as justice. I think it, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, one can be put above the other, but it seems like justice must be paid. Like there's no getting around it. You know, there's no way that, um, that it can't be paid. And so that's the scenario that we were left in after the fall. And, you know, that's a quite a predicament. And so God paid the highest price of offering his son Mm -hmm. uh, to allow for mercy to also exist. So, you know, ideally, and which is the case, they both will exist. We don't have to compromise there. So sure. I don't know, maybe it's just a <laughs> idle right. speculation at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and I'll bring up just a, just for 
fun and giggles, I guess. But but you can look at it the other way too, right? If 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 Hitler goes to heaven, well then who who in the world would go to hell? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. And uh, you know, we I guess we can we can say we don't know their circumstances. We don't know how he was raised, but certainly there's going to be some measure of accountability there. Um, I'm I'm not going to go so far on that route that we're going to dismiss, you know, the most apparent uh, moral injustices that a person can commit. Sure. Yeah, well, that is an interesting question. And uh, for those of you listening right now, I would invite you to think about this, too. I mean, what would your answer be? Do you think that God, would you rather that Gandhi would go to hell and Hitler go to heaven? It's yeah. kind of a moral dilemma right there. And um, sorry to take this in a different direction, Cade, but this is this is tangential to it, as we love to uh, relate things <laughs> and go off. But um, my question related to punishments and suffering is, what good does suffering as a punishment do? Like, uh, um, how does suffering help the situation at all? Like, does it solve anything whatsoever? Um, except maybe to, is it kind of rehabilitative, like, or corrective? I mean, does it, is it supposed to just teach them a lesson? You, you know what I'm getting at? I, I, I think I kind of understand. I'll, I'll, I'll start talking and you correct me if I'm not answering the question that you're asking, but um, to me, at least, it seems like there is these, there's these eternal laws, right? For example, one is a law of justice. If you vary from this perfect essentially law uh, that there is a ransom that must be paid to some degree right and that payment is beyond my ability to really understand why it needs to be paid but the the fact is that it must be paid right that that if there is any deviation from this quote-unquote celestial law um, that you must have need to correct to that celestial law or to make up for the difference that you have fallen from, right? Kind of in our fallen state. But ultimately, is that punishment, is it necessarily to correct you? Which brings up, I don't know if this helps further the question or if I'm even in the right direction at all, but it makes me think of the scriptures when they talk about how every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ, right? Now, that's not just speaking of people who are going to be celestial beings or terrestrial or, or even telestial, or, right? Every single tongue shall confess. Um, and now I'm starting to lose the track of where I was heading with my tangent, but I, I don't know if that, if well, you understand kind of where I'm heading. Yeah, well, you, you do bring up the atonement, which is right where it goes, because that's the main example is like suffering used as a currency to pay for, you know, the ransom. Um so let me simplify it here. And I know we're, we're getting in kind of deep here, but I think we can explain it well enough, hopefully to articulate it clearly. But um, so in our judgment system, you know, in our country with um, criminals and how to, how to respond to criminal behavior, um, what we use is time as a payment for bad behavior, what we deem as criminal uh-huh. or money, right? Um, and sometimes it's, you know, not both or both aren't permissible, but mainly, you know, we say, oh, if they committed this crime, you have to spend X amount of time in prison. And that um, we deem that as being just, or we can say, okay, you can pay, you know, this amount of money for your fine. Right. So those, those two metrics make sense to us. That's our culture. So um, what if our culture introduced a new metric that said, Oh, well, one third option you can do to pay for your crime is mm-hmm. you can bear X amount of suffering. You know, we can whip you X amount of times. And uh, <laughs> if you suffer and feel that pain, yeah. then uh, that'll, that'll also be acceptable. And wouldn't that be a weird law? You know, I guess we could say, well, it teaches them a lesson. But I don't know. Other than that, it's like who's being satisfied by their pain? Isn't that an odd law? And and we're kind of asserting that that if we do say that Christ's atonement could be reduced merely to pain in suffering, you know, because like what weird law exists that says suffering will satisfy justice? 
Is that making sense? You bring up some really interesting. Yeah, I, I think I understand what kind of what you're saying. Like, why in the world would you pick the metric of suffering to, to recompense for your break, breaking some sort of law? Yeah, is, like is what's who's satisfied what by that? Yeah, yeah. Like, why? Who made that law? Like, that's a really weird law. Hmm. That's a really good point. Um. Well, first off, I would at least think that this law is something that's existed eternally beyond anything that we can ever comprehend, right? Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. Well, there's a scripture that was coming to my mind, but now I've lost it. Anyway, um, I think ultimately uh, the suffering that we go through, I don't know if it's necessarily equated. And, and, and I, I, I like your example, but I think that there's almost a an extension beyond just just suffering itself. I think a large part of it is, is even just guilt. You know, it, it's, it's the feeling bad for having made that discrepancy. Um, I'm trying to think, what is the scripture that I'm trying to think of? So like godly a, sorrow or something? Yeah. Kind of like a godly sorrow, right? That, uh, let me see, let me find it. I swear it's an Alma 11. Let me double check. But um, it, it talks about uh, in between this life and the next through the resurrection, how here it is. Okay, so there will be both limb and joints shall be restored to proper fame, even as we are at this time, and we shall be brought to stand before God, knowing even as we know now, and have a bright recollection of it. But I, I think that this guilt is, is a big part of everything. That uh, when when like Alma the younger talks about the the pains of hell, right? That this mm -hmm. is th this this is like a deep sorrow of your sins. You feel so bad for what you have done for breaking these eternal laws that you want to conform and, and, and reform yourself and become a better person, right? You don't want to dwell in, in your misery. Hell is sin and, and, and sin causes that internal guilt because you're not fulfilling your, you know, the fullness of your creation, essentially, mm. at least to, to my understanding. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, that does. Interesting. So let me make sure I understand this. Um, so one of the consequences of sin you're saying is the guilt of bearing the knowledge of your sin and how it affected people and what it's done. And that is a painful and miserable knowledge to bear. Is that right? Yeah. And, and, and one of the big parts of that sin and, and, and that pain that comes with that sin is the guilt of having doing it, not necessarily just remembering that you had done the sin, but the guilt of it, knowing that you could have been better than you were than, mm -hmm. or than you are even. And, and that's where Christ's atonement comes in play, right? That his power literally can forgive any of that guilt that you have. Now, that's not saying that you won't remember the sin. You can definitely remember. I, I remember plenty of the sins that I've committed, both, both uh, of commission and of omission, right? But the pain mm. that's associated with that or the guilt that's associated with that is, is almost lifted away. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, something's clicking there. I think I still have some things to work out on it, but that makes sense why Christ would necessarily have to suffer pain or, or be in, you know, some kind of distress while he was bearing our burden because there is distress associated with the burden of sin. And yeah. he was bearing that for us. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was thinking before, you know, going back to that, those metrics of payment, you know, you can use time as one or money as another. Mm -hmm. Um, one way I put it is that we were in a bad predicament after the fall where the only way justice could be satisfied was for us to be eternally cut off from God. So justice is satisfied by that. If we're cast out away from God, um, right. forever, that, that satisfies justice. That's one way to solve it, but that's not very good for us. Right. So right. God's plan allows Jesus Christ to step in and, you know, through adoption rights and whatever, he, he is able to assume us as children and assume our punishment um, that we have accumulated. And yeah. so he can pay that as if it's currency. You know, he has the eternal infinite currency or currency because he's a God, which yeah. we don't have. We, you know, we're mortals. So we'd have to pay our whole lives by living them out, but he's a God. So I guess he can pay that infinite price as if it's a coin he's handing over. I, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously yeah. it's, it's more than that, but <laughs> yeah. not so simple. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's interesting, just an added note is the, the fact that the way that we partake of that currency is through repentance. It's through conforming back to that same law that we have fallen short of, right. To, to essentially right our wrongs and, and go back to living that law 
as perfectly as we can, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah. in, 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 instead of just paying your time or paying your money, like, like you've mentioned, or, or even just feeling pain or guilt or whatever, but, but you're literally restoring everything that you've done and trying to undo that as much as you can. And then anything you are unable to restore, Christ is able to fix, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there is a process on our part of accepting that on our behalf. Um, you know, if it was such a simple thing, like I made in that example, Christ would just pay it for everyone. It's over, you know, everyone comes back to heaven, but I think, yeah, there's a lot we have to do to take on that nature and that role as his, you know, a child of Christ and, um, yeah, accepting him. So anyway, yeah, there's a lot more that goes into it, but Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I love the kind of where we went with that. Um, so along this kind of same track, Mike, um, the, the next question we have is, you know, with as we've been talking about sins and stuff like that, that the question I'd like to pose to you is, well, can we then be tempted above what we are able to bear? Hmm. Good segue. Okay. I, yeah, this is a good question too. Um, Let's see. So I, there are two scriptures that come to my mind when you're asking this question, like, uh, you know, can you be given a scenario that is too hard or a sin that is too much to bear that you literally do not have the power to overcome it mm-hmm. or to have a way out? So one scripture, um, humble yourselves before the Lord and call on his holy name and watch and pray continually that ye may not be tempted above that which ye can bear and thus be led by the Holy Spirit, becoming humble, meek, submissive, patient, full of love, and all long-suffering. Long suffering. So um, the main part there is, you know, do all these things that you may not be tempted above that which you can bear. Okay, the second scripture is from Paul um, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And he says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So in both of those, I know you could interpret it maybe several ways, but in the one in Alma, the fact that it says that ye may not be tempted above that which you can bear kind of implies that you could be tempted above that which you can bear. So, you know, you know, if you don't watch and pray continually, if you don't yeah. call on the name of the Lord, you will be tempted above that which you can bear. You, you do not have power over Satan by your own merit alone, you know, you need God. I don't know. That's uh, that's how I'm kind of reading it right now. And then with Paul too, when he says, um, you know, God's faithful, he'll not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So even there, he's adding the, but, you know, he's like, yeah, you won't be tempted above. You can bear, you know, because God will give you an escape that you can bear it. I, I guess so. He gives you the way out. But I think if you don't yield to God in either of these cases, perhaps you can be uh, tempted above what you can bear. What do you, what do you think? I, I, I think 100%. Exactly. Actually, those are the exact same two scriptures I found too. Um, but I, I think most certainly you can be tempted above what you can bear without God's power and help to overcome any temptation or, or affliction you might have is kind so, of a short answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, so my next question is like, well, what does that mean? You, you know, what does that look like? What's a temptation that would be so strong you can't bear? Is that like addiction? Someone who's addicted to drugs or um, pornography or some other addictive substance? Um, I, I don't know. I'm wondering what, what kind of sins would be so strong that you, you can't just snap out of it with willpower. That's a good question. Um, I, I would, my first thoughts do go the same track as yours is addictions, right? I mean, pornography, drugs, um, alcohol, and so on and so forth. Right. I, I think those first and foremost are probably some of the hardest things to overcome, uh, in society ever, you know, mm-hmm. addictions are addictions for a reason. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think that even some people that, go through some of these hardships, you know, like we talked about, was it last week where, you know, are, is it really repenting if you're going over, over, over and over and over again? But, but that kind of ties into this, you know, I mean, when, when you're trying to get the power of God to overcome something, I think sometimes just the willpower is, is so, it, it can be so difficult to control, right? 
especially nowadays, I think we're a lot less disciplined than we used to be. And that might just be uh, conjecture, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but genuinely, I think that there, there, there are a lot of things in life that are really hard to overcome. And I am of the opinion at very least that there are at least a couple of things that can be so difficult for you to, to go through, whether it's a temptation or, or even maybe an, an affliction for lack of a better term, um, that without the help of God, you cannot truly get through that on your own. And, and, and my mind kind of turns in, in a very appropriate way, but to, to suicide, I, I think there are a lot of people that really struggle with depression or anxiety or, or a combination of mental or emotional um, challenges temptations challenges struggles you know that that's a genuine thing i've had multiple people i've known growing up that have have uh, committed suicide and and i genuinely think that you know I, I i'm not here to necessarily go out and judge them and say i know exactly what place they were in mentally or emotionally but but that they were truly going through hard things obviously right to, to take a step like that that life life is not easy but that being said i i, I truly believe that if one relies upon God with, and, and I don't think it's easy either to rely on God with that kind of a faith, right? But but that if you truly pour out your soul to the Lord, you will receive the strength that he does promise. And any affliction or temptation you might have can be overcome. Now, that's not always going to be in your own due time either. But I think so long as you have that faith, God really does bless and and. You know, I mean, I mean, he, he my, my mind goes to Moses when he's uh, on on the mount or near the burning bush. Right. And and uh, the Lord is, is explaining to him. He's like, hey, you know, you got a lot of stuff to do and I need you to go and, and free the Egyptians. Essentially, he's like, but Lord, you know, I mean, this is terribly uh, paraphrased, but but he's he complains. He's like, Lord, I'm, I'm slow of speech. I don't I don't speak very well. I got some inabilities to do that. And, and my favorite response in, in most of the scripture, this is one of my favorites in all of scripture, is he, he, God says, and who formed your tongue, right? Mm. <laughs> and, and I think that's kind of what, what this topic gets to is, is, yes, there are going to be hard things. And some things, I, as I believe at least, that you won't be able to overcome on your own. But through the power of God, who has created all things, you can't overcome them. Mm. Yeah, I like that. That's a that is a good good way to describe the application of God and how that uh, that way out, that path of escape, is provided. Because um, yeah, I think as you started out saying, talking about depression and suicide and stuff, it made me think just how maybe what place we would be in without God's intervention to bring us back into His presence. You know, if we were left out here in the, you know, cut off from God, I, I don't think we realize, and even as I speculate, we, we don't realize how awful that would be, especially once we die. Because, you know, as we have bodies, I think that gives us a little more power and glory. But once we lose these bodies and we're cut off from God, mm. that is such a miserable state. I, I don't think we understand that. But perhaps depression, suicide, addiction can give us a small taste of what's out there. You know, what can the powers of Satan do to torment man? Uh, perhaps that's a foretaste of it. And I think Satan does want to take away our agency. I don't, I don't know why or, you know, how, what other measures he would take, but um, yeah, I don't know. Perhaps we would get to a point where we were just miserable animals of vice and, um, you know, addicted to all sorts of, um, um, things, but yeah, that, I don't know, that's a bleak picture, but hmm. yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, not to yeah, end on I, the no, bleak. No, note. no, I, I'll, I'll, I'll add to that so we can uh, turn it up a little bit, but, but genuinely I, I love your comments. I mean, that really painted a, a vivid picture of, of the power of Satan too. And I think that's an important thing to know too, right? God has power, but, but so does Satan, right? But, uh, as much power as Satan has to, bruise our hill we, we can crush his skull and that is for sure right mm -hmm. but th this actually reminds me i had a conversation with my uh, brother his wife has has taken a class where she was reading out of a textbook apparently that said uh, that 50 percent of our happiness comes from genetics and, and i i disagreed very wholeheartedly to this right and, and i'm getting back to kind of your 
your take on oh, agency. Social science is never wrong, Cade. <laughs> I know. In these kind of studies. <laughs> well, especially if it's in a book that you can read. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway I, and i just talked it out with him for a little bit and and, and I, I genuinely am of the belief right as the scriptures say that we are agents to act and not to be acted upon right that we really have a lot more power than we think we do sometimes right that that you know even though we might have temptations that are very difficult even though we might have really challenging mental issues or emotional issues or physical conditions or, or any combination of all hellish kind of things we have a lot more control over at least a few things, one being ourselves, right? And, and I'm of the opinion that, yeah, there's a lot of factors. I, I think, you know, what you eat, the amount of exercise you have, having a purpose in life, uh, just, just, I mean, there's so many little things that can make a difference in, in, in your life, but you choose almost all of them, you know? Yeah, you know, you're, you might not produce as much serotonin because of X, Y, or Z disease, but you can control your, your your happiness to a large extent, right? You can control the ability to overcome temptations to a very large extent, if not a full extent, right? Especially, at, at least I'll give the condition, so long as you rely upon God. Mm, excellent place to take it because, um, yeah, I think uh, Satan wants us to be victims to our circumstance because why? That is what an object is. It's a victim to its circumstance. Um, you know, to the extreme that an agent of the circumstance who takes responsibility and accountability for the things that are happening in their life, even things that are affected by external influences, uh, that is an agent. And that is what God wants us to be because God works with what he's given. You know, God didn't create the chaos, but he worked with the chaos to make order. And I think that's what we have to do in our lives. You know, we may have chaos. You may have the chaos of depression and you know, you, you know, like when we, uh, you know, we had a new, a newborn, uh, we've got a three month old right now and that makes chaos in life. You know, there's waking up in the night all the time. And I'm like, how in the heck am I supposed to have a consistent morning routine where I'm reading the scriptures and stuff? If I'm waking up at, um, inconsistent hours during the night and I never know if it's one time, two time, you know, and that was a pretty hard thing for me. Cause I really depend on my morning routine anyway, but uh, you know, don't be a victim and be like, well, nothing I can do, you know? Anyway, I, I don't uh, want to ramble on, but I think your point is well taken there and very relevant. Yeah, love your thoughts too. I really like that. Okay, um, any th other thoughts on there? Do you want me to uh, shoot on to the next question? Uh, yeah, let's shoot on. I, I, I'm, I think I'm all good on that one. Okay, so last one here. What's the point of doing missionary work if everyone is eventually going to get a chance to accept or reject the gospel anyway? Hmm. So what is the point of doing missionary work if everyone is eventually going to get a chance to accept or reject the gospel anyway? And, and I guess this is, sorry to interrupt you, Kate. Yeah, go. Uh, this is a thought that's, um, or a doctrine that's exclusive to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I think, with our knowledge of the spirit world and work mm. there. So um, anyone who's, you know, not a member of the church and doesn't explain that, maybe we could give a little explanation there so they know why we think that or why that you know the premise of this question is stated there yeah yeah thanks for thinking outside of my uh myopic view <laughs> i i, I actually kind of like this question though um wh wh why do we need to do all this missionary work or temple work or whatever if everyone's already gonna well i guess temple work's a little bit different but why do we have to do all this missionary work if everyone's already gonna get a chance eventually anyway um, and my thoughts immediately turn to, um, is it DNC four where essentially it goes on and it, and it talks about, you know, that who, whosoever has desire to serve God, um, you know, is called to the work. Right. And later on, and it goes through that, you know, the, the field is white already to harvest. Um, and lo, he that thrusteth in a sickle with his might, the same layeth up in store that perisheth not and bringeth salvation to his soul. Right. That, that if, if you have desire to serve God, you will be called to the work. And there's a lot of work to do, essentially. Right. And if you go out and you work really hard, essentially, you're going to bring salvation to your soul, which is which is an interesting concept, at least. Right. That even though you're working for the salvation of other souls, the ultimate salvation that you are going to achieve is your own. Right. And I think that's kind of at least the direction my answer goes for this question that the whole point of doing missionary work is essentially to become 
like gods ourselves to an extent, right? If God's work and glory is to bring to pass immortality and eternal life of men, if God's work, if all that he ever focuses on is the exaltation of his children, and we want to eventually become like him someday, as is his plan, as we are his children, right? Then we also need to learn how to do his work is, is essentially my answer. Mm. Okay. So there's the necessity of missionary work in our own salvation because it pertains to our um, education on doing God's work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, like genuinely, I think, <laughs> I think it's impossible to, right. To leave this sphere, right. You die, you're resurrected, uh, you're moving on and God's, you know, you're at the judgment bar, however it all works out, you know, and, and you're in heaven but you hate, you hate the gospel. It does. It's not something you care about. It's not something you're passionate about, or, or, you know, I, I think that would be miserable for you. If you genuinely love the gospel and love teaching the gospel, I think you're in a great path because that, that's exactly what God does all the time is he lives the God. It's, it's his work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you have to adapt that work now or as soon as possible, right. To become someone who wants to do that for all of eternity. Okay. Yeah. I I like that a lot. Um, You know, this is an interesting question for me because it might seem kind of silly, but on my mission at the beginning, I actually struggled with this a little bit because we had a big emphasis on talking to everyone. You know, we go by a 7-Eleven and some guys out there and, um, you know, I have this urge to talk to him, but I know it'd be awkward because he was already getting in his car and I didn't talk to him. I'm like, oh, dang it. Well, yeah, I guess it's going to have to wait till the spirit world. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm like, well, what's the point anyway? He's going to get the gospel eventually. Right. Um, and the conclusion I had at that point was a little different, even though I think yours is a totally valid point. Um, but after thinking about it and studying it on my mission, I came to the conclusion that, well, you know, having the gospel in this life is a benefit and not having it in this life is, you know, uh, negative, you know, it, it's uh, the gospel blesses you. Um, I think from the perspective of some people who live the gospel in a miserable way, where you're going to church begrudgingly, you know, you get on your church clothes and you're complaining the whole time, and <laughs> you know, everything just becomes a drag. Yeah, well, from that perspective, you might say something like, Well, I don't want them to know about the gospel because they're better off living the worldly life. Because, you know, let, let them live it up and they'll get to learn about it in the spirit world and be spared from the burden of the gospel. And that is a horrible perspective um, because yeah. the gospel is not a burden. It is a blessing. And so if you, if you see it from the blessing perspective, you say, oh, no, I don't want that guy living worldly, you know, worldly life that, that brings misery. Wickedness never was happiness. Um, yeah. If he lives the gospel, it'll bring a new light to him. You know, he'll have a bigger smile on his face. And um, be you know all the better off in his life, and so those were kind of some of the thoughts I was working through as a missionary. Okay, I love that. Yeah, I mean, the gospel really is such a blessing, and it's kind of like the laborers in the field, right? If you have that purpose the entire time, sure, you're going to be working a lot more, but at least you're not going to be worrying about whether or not you're going to get any money throughout the day, right? Does Does that make sense with that parable? Maybe I'm yeah. a little off the track. But. Yeah, no, because what's the alternative? Um, you can be someone who was never hired or who never will be hired. Um, well, hmm, yeah. I guess relating it to that analogy, our, our case is that everyone eventually will have the chance to be hired, but we already right. had the opportunity. So if we reject it now, right? Well, but you don't. Even but, worse. But, but but here's the uh, here's the condition though. You don't know that you're going to be hired, right? So you're going through the whole day, not sure if you're going to get hired to be able to paid. Oh, okay. To get paid. Right. Does that make sense? And so that, that condition makes it almost, almost more miserable. I mean, you could argue that, you know, the laborers that are working all day sucks because they're working all day, but, but I think it's, it's mentally difficult at very least to not have that purpose, right. To not know if you're going to have enough money to buy food at the end of the day, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I think it does give us purpose. That, That is a good thing. And, um, and among that, I think it helps our life in virtually every aspect. I, I cannot think of one reason why the gospel would be a burden or would negatively impact someone's life, you know, why they would be better off living the worldly life. 
Um, I remember on my mission, going back to it again, Yeah. Um, in one of the areas, there were all these medical students. And man, they were just like the cookie cut, like amazing people I wanted to be. They were all, all the guys had hot wives and they were all super <laughs> successful. And I'm like, man, <laughs> these people are awesome. And they're living the gospel and they got good, t- strong testimonies. I'm like, hey, this is what I want after I get home. And so, you know, they were all young and um, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is the life, you know, these are people living the gospel, right. You know? Um, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> are you saying if I, if I live the gospel, I'm going to get a smoking hot wife. Depends <laughs> how strong the testimony is. <laughs> also missionaries can think uh, members wives are hot. Apparently according to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. If missionaries are hearing this, uh, yeah. lock your heart. <laughs> get to work elder <laughs> yeah actually I, you bringing up missions i actually had a different thought process with this whole concept because i had the same question though right like what's the whole por- what's the whole point and i had I hadn't come to the conclusion that i've come to now um but but one of the concerns i did have was well if everyone is going to get an opportunity to accept or reject the gospel anyways my 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 question focused a little bit more on well what what is this chance going to be Right. What what's defining a chance? Is it just missionaries walking down the street and you see them? Is it them actually knocking on your door? Is it you having a chance to hear one lesson if you accepted them in? Like, wh- wh- where's the line for a chance? Right. And I don't think that there is a de- that is a defined spot for that. I like to think that it's going to be a, a clear and concise and and a very uh, proffered way of being able to accept or reject the gospel. But. On the off chance that it's not, on the off chance that it's just because you didn't open your door because you saw the two guys with white shirts and ties, and that's your chance, I always had kind of the opposite thought as you, and it was more of a, well, I don't know what this chance is going to be, so if this is it, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that it's a good chance for them. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a, well, you're a good missionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think what you said proffer is the word yeah that i hope that's what that's what i think it will be um and to take this in a slightly different direction you know how um a lot of christians at least the orthodox ones and this might be kind of old-fashioned for some christian sects today to think but a lot of them say you know all those people who never heard about jesus christ what happens to them well they go to hell you know that's that's right. kind of their their answer and when you interpret spirit prison as hell and spirit paradise as heaven, which I think is kind of where some of them are getting off, that's actually true, right? Like yeah. uh, if you don't uh, accept Jesus in this life uh, when you had the chance, or even if you didn't have a chance, you are going to hell, AKA spirit prison. Um, I guess where our view changes and where the, the arm of mercy is extended to everyone is after that, um, before the resurrection, um, and and that, and the fact that in the spirit world, many uh, much missionary work is going on. Is that all correct to say? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and I I don't think we really think about that very much. That we all have the lines that we've drawn, at least doctrinally, right? Whether or not people who attend those churches believe that doctrine is a different thing because. I don't know. I don't know how many people actually know what they believe anymore or what yeah. the churches believe. Right. But, uh, but it's a good point. I mean, genuinely, if you know, the, the standard Christian doctrine is if you don't believe in Christ in this life, you will be damned. Right. Most Christians are of the belief, right. Confess his name and, and you will be saved and that's all you need to do. Right. But, mm-hmm. but there are lines drawn and, 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 uh, and yeah, it's, it's important to understand that God really is very merciful right? That this hell that we believe in is not one that's going to extend through endless duration of time, right? Like you, like you said, that when by the resurrection, you will have an opportunity to have heard the gospel and to truly accept Christ, which is where I, where I get to. And I, I really believe that I, I like to believe that God will be very merciful in proffering uh, that gospel to everyone to give them a, a fair chance, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, so here's the, the last qualification I would add to this topic is there's a balance here where you could, 
you could get too lackadaisical and say, you know, oh, they're going to get another chance. Everyone's always going to get another chance. If you, um, you know, grew up in the church and you fell away and whatever, um, you got into worldly habits. Um, it's all right. You know, you'll get another chance that's going too far. Right. Um, and then on the other hand, you can get so strict that, you know, the missionaries knock on someone's door, they peek through the blinds and don't open and you're like, Oh, they're going to hell. They missed their chance. This was their one chance, you know? So that's also right. an error on the other side. And uh, reminds me of that Bruce R. McConkie talk, which you as a fan, I'm sure know where he's like, he died and she did and his work. Did. And it was a complete waste of time. And it was an utter waste of time. <laughs> that's one that I'm like, Ooh, man, I don't know about that one. But <laughs> well, well I, I, I do love that talk. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and... I see it. He's, he's definitely hitting that, that balance yeah. there. So I, I don't know. What do you think on that one? That's a good question. I think, okay, and, and this might be a little bit controversial, but mm. I, as far as I've studied um, work for the dead and everything, like if you go and read Doctrine and Covenants section 128, um, it specifically points out, Joseph Smith points out uh, in this letter that he wrote to the saints that um, at least when they were really starting up with uh, the Doctrine of Baptisms for the Dead, right? This is the whole chapter on Baptisms for the Dead. But he really... Uh, starts it out with saying that essentially they were only doing these ordinances for the dead for those that they believed all would have accepted the gospel it wasn't Mm. it wasn't for it wasn't for every single person like we do today it was Mm. particularly just for those who would and i don't know what verse it is in there but but it's doctrine covenants 128 um i'm 99 percent certain of that but um and, and 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 i believe in elder mcconkey's concept to a degree Right. I like to believe God will be very, very merciful. But I think President Nelson's also kind of shadowed this. Uh, he gave a talk a few years ago on uh, paradise. I remember them speaking about they went to Paradise, California, and there's all these mm. fires or something going on. But but he speaks about one of his friends who was a smoker and a drinker and a similar similar story is what Elder McConkie shares, right? Where he knew the gospel was true, but he didn't want to accept it because he didn't want to live the laws of, of God, essentially, right? And President Nelson takes it in a little bit more of a tactful way, I think, because yeah. his, his answer is essentially, he says, and I am glad that I am not that man's judge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it's the same concept to me, at least the, the fact is this, as far as I understand it, the gospel truly, it, it's not we're, we're, at least after this life, right? This life is the day in which we should work out our salvation. Right. This is our day to work out all of our works. After this, the night comes and we are not able to do our works any longer. Right. Now, I, I've heard people who are big proponents of um, of second or third or fourth chances in the next life. Right. That you just get unlimited opportunities to accept the gospel. I don't know if that's scriptural. Mm-hmm. past the past this life in this life certainly god will forgive you 70 times seven but in the next life i think the rules are actually a little bit different now i, I definitely need to do a little bit more reading before i can give a, a more um solid answer but but genuinely if you're not going to accept this life the gospel in this life and you are the same person after you die you're not going to accept it in there right yeah yeah so what i would do is i'm you know i'll be cautious when i'm in fact, I'm not going to draw lines of limitation on God's mercy. Uh, that's not my place. But at the same time, um, I think the scriptures do indicate sentiment that backs up what, where you're going with that, Cade. Because Jesus Christ talks about this day being the time for work. And when the night of darkness comes, no work can be done. And I feel like the people in the Book of Mormon took this seriously, more seriously than us. They were pretty severe, you know, about talking about, oh, these people died and they were committed to Christ. So, you know, we know they're saved or these people, if they if you died in your anger, you'd go to hell. And um, I, I don't know. Um, I know there are more scriptures that probably say things there and I, maybe none of it's quite black and white. But I think we need to be very cautious about becoming complacent with, right. with this kind of subject, um, you know, while at the same time I'm. I'm not going to say what the limit of God's mercy is, but I am going to say we got to be very cautious about making sure we're doing our very best because yeah, I, I don't know honestly how many chances there are, what it's like in the afterlife. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I appreciate your caution. Sometimes I do speak uh, before I think things through all the way, but but I agree. I think ultimately kind of a, a definitive answer that I would give is this, right? If if you would have accepted it here, you will accept it there, right? Mm-hmm. Now, can there be some repentance beyond this life? Surely there can, right? We've, we've been taught that to some degree. What that degree is, like you said, I, I don't dare put, exact limits on any of that but it certainly is a repentance process just like it is here so i I think just like you said i'll I'll add my testimony to that for sure is just just be cautious right don't don't live the life of of the guy who knows that the church is true or or whatever and and does not accept it in this life right yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. And, um, you know, like president Nelson said, we are not the judges. That's not our place. So, you know, if we are speculating about, Oh, I wonder if that person accepted it or not, or if they had their chance and, you know, luckily we don't even have to worry about that. Um, you know, we, we don't gain anything by uh, coming to a conclusion of like, Oh yeah, they're going to hell or they're, they're not. Um, but what, what we can do is joyfully live the gospel right now, show people that, you know, there's no reason to not accept it now. If you know, you're that guy who's saying, Oh, do my work after I die. Cause I, I don't want to <laughs> live it right now. You're like, well, why not? This is awesome. You know, you should right. want to live this. There, there should be no reason why you'd want the world, you know, your, your cigarettes and your affairs, you know, that, that brings you nothing uh, that there yeah. is absolutely no value in that. So I, I think, you know, just to yeah end with the, the testimony of example, we, we ought to be enjoying the gospel um, in our lives. So yeah, I'll end it there. Um, any, any closing thoughts for you, Cade? No, I, I love kind of where you're headed. Um, just kind of ultimately, just like you said, uh, at the end of the day, yeah, we can speculate. Yeah. We can, uh, come up with our own thoughts and stuff, but ultimately the blessing is that we do the ordinances for everyone. Every single person will have an opportunity to accept or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you want to truly enjoy the work, you should get to work. Learn about the gospel. Learn how to do missionary work. And it's not just going to help save other people through ordinances in the temple or through your own discussions with them, as formal or informal as they may be. But ultimately, you're doing that work will not just help save others, but it'll also help save your own soul. Amen. Good note to end on. Well, thanks for joining us this week, guys. We will be back next week with another episode.